So our text today is coming from Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 1 to 19. Before we begin our study, I'd like to tell you uh, another story at my workplace. Um, I learned that when you take an airplane to get somewhere, you travel to different countries and places, even though you don't know the pilot, the aircraft engineers, the safety engineers, you don't know them, and even the air traffic controllers. Uh, but you, nevertheless, you fly the airplane. You do this because of trust. Um, because of the, of the trust that they are qualified persons. They have the necessary skills that they need so that they can operate rightly. We don't trust them because we see their hands working on the control panel of the aircraft. We don't trust them because um, we see the, the uh, flight engineer or the aircraft engineer tie the bolts and nuts of the wings of your aircraft. Uh, we don't trust them uh, because you know you, you can hear the language that the air traffic control, controllers are talking about when they are uh, controlling the airspace or the traffic in the air. You don't trust them because you see them doing that. Whether or not we trust them depends on their qualifications. Are they really knowledgeable? Have they worked enough number of hours to get the necessary skills that they need? Uh, do they speak aviation language in order to com communicate rightly uh, with other uh, people involved in, fly in the flight of your aircraft? Uh, have they worked enough hours to get that skills? And in other words, do they really do what they told people they can do? So getting into an airplane is all about trust. Now, if we say we are a Christian, our trust in God should look like the way we trust those people who work in the aviation industry. Uh, this is an important lesson that Habakkuk presents in his book, in the book of Habakkuk, that the righteous live according to that trust, the trust in God. The righteous live by faith. The righteous go through life based on their trust and confidence in God. They do not see the actual hand of God doing all the supernatural things that are happening. In fact, the rest of the world sees everything as a random chance that has nothing to do with God. But the righteous live by faith. They believe that God can never lie about who He says He is. He is not only qualified, instead, God is the highest standard of every good thing that we know in life. He has shown this in the Bible through His Word, that He has powerfully worked all things to reveal His glory. And in the presence, in the present time, in our Christian life, God worked all things together for the good of His people, so that God can bring them their highest good. And He also guaranteed our future. 
so that we can rejoice and celebrate with Him at the end of days. Because of this, we can always trust God no matter what. This is what Habakkuk teaches from chapter 1 to chapter 3. And this is the main point of our sermon today. Because the Lord is faithful, trust Him no matter what. Because the Lord is faithful, trust Him no matter what. That's what we are going to learn in Habakkuk chapter 3. Now, I have three points to cover this main point. First, trust God according to His name. Trust God according to His name. Second, trust God because of His wondrous works. Trust God because of His wondrous works. And third, trust God no matter what. Trust God no matter what. So we will begin with our first point. Let's read Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 1 to 2, to know that we can trust God according to His name. Trust God according to His name. A prayer of the prophet Habakkuk according to Shigionoth. Lord, I have heard the report about you. Lord, I stand in awe of your deeds. Revive your work in these years. Make it known in these years, in your wrath. Remember mercy. Christians pray. And when we pray, we always end our prayer in the Lord's name. We end our prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. We do this because we are expressing faith in the person whose name bears the authority so that our prayers can be heard. In Jesus' name, God will hear our prayer. That's what we believe. Now, when we look at our passage, it's important to remember how God revealed His name to those people in the past, like Abraham. God revealed Himself to be Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God. When Yahweh revealed His name to Abraham, He gave him a promise in Genesis 12. He told Abraham that Abraham can trust in him, that he will bless him, he will make him into a great nation, leave his country, he can trust in God, go to the place that God is showing him. He can trust in God because of his name. And that name, nowadays, when we read our Bible, is translated into capital L-O-R-D. So when you read the Bible and see that word, capital L-O-R-D, Lord, that originally means Yahweh in Hebrew language. It means that He is the God who keeps His covenant promises. And even though the people descended from Abraham keep breaking their promises to God to live according to His word, the Lord stayed true to His promise in His covenant. God's ability to keep His promise to Abraham shows that Israel can trust in God. And so during hard times, the righteous ones can live by faith. That's what Habakkuk says in our last sermon. This is what Habakkuk shows to us in Habakkuk chapter 3 as well. Habakkuk alludes to the name of Yahweh twice. 
Look with me in verse 2. He said, Lord, I have heard the report about you. Lord, I stand in awe of your deeds. And Habakkuk shows to us an example of what it looks like for a righteous person to exercise faith by praying to the Lord, the covenant-keeping God. It means that Habakkuk believes Yahweh will live up to his name. To live up to your name means to be the kind of person whom you can depend on. It, your name speaks about who you are. Habakkuk thinks that God will keep his word no matter what happens. And so Habakkuk can always rely in the Lord. And that's why when we continue on reading, Habakkuk can continuously pray to God, God or Lord Yahweh, revive your work in these years. Make it known in these years. Habakkuk is calling to the covenant of God. Remember your covenant. In your wrath, remember mercy. Notice this time that Habakkuk changed into something different from the first Habakkuk that we heard uh, three Sundays ago. Habakkuk is arrogant during those times. But this time Habakkuk humbly asked God for mercy. When just like, uh, unlike Babylon, or when, when just like Babylon, he deserves God's wrath. In wrath, remember mercy, Lord. Habakkuk prayed to God. Now, let's, let's try to remember quickly what happened in Habakkuk 1 and 2 so that those who heard this sermon will have a better grasp of what's going on. Habakkuk wondered why God was quiet about Judah's wickedness. And then, God told Habakkuk that he was raising up an evil nation to do justice and punish wickedness. Then Habakkuk asked God again, how could God be good if he punished a more righteous nation which is Judah, through an evil nation that God is raising up to invade it. But then God told Habakkuk how the fall of the evil Babylon would also be used throughout the history to show how righteous God is. In other words, God is just and righteous. All evil will be punished. God is in charge. He always does what is right. This is the God that Habakkuk prays to now in our sermon text. This is why in our passage, Habakkuk better reflect what it means to be like his father Abraham, whom God called to be righteous, for God credited righteousness because of his faith. Habakkuk now resembles his father Abraham. He is now someone who doesn't exalt himself above others, Unlike the way, the way he did on the previous passage, he exalted himself to be more righteous than Babylon. He exalted Judah to be more righteous than Babylon when both of them deserved God's wrath and God's punishment. And so a righteous Habakkuk or a righteous person is someone who is calling on the name Yahweh. Someone who prays in the name of the Lord and knows the meaning of Yahweh, that he is a covenant-keeping God. Now, what does this passage teaches us? It teaches us that the Lord's name tells us 
about His character. It tells us about the Lord that we can trust Him. Christians can trust the same Lord of Habakkuk, the same Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God, in the same manner that Habakkuk increased his knowledge of God for who He is, hearing the report about Him, we can also increase our knowledge by reading all the reports about Yahweh through the Bible. We can be like Habakkuk, who increased his knowledge about God. When I worked um, in my previous employer, I did my work to, under the supervision of my general manager. Sister Juliet know him. Because I work with him a lot, I learned how his language works. And most of the time, the department managers, there are many departments in our company, the department managers of our company would go to his office with a request, but they would leave his office with a sad face because their request was quickly rejected. Now, one thing I have learned about this boss of mine is that when he says no, what he really meant to say is this, I don't understand your request, so I'm saying no right now. But if you tell me more about it, I might say yes. That, that's how his brain works. Now, the, the problem with those department managers who go to the general manager's office is that when he says no, they agree with him right away and walk out of his office. Now, I didn't tell you this story to uh, compare God with my general manager, to make God sound like a boss who's too, who always says no to our prayers. No, that's not my point. I'm telling you this story to show how important it is to know who your boss is. And so our job as Christians is to know who God is. Our problem is that once we learn that we are already saved from God's wrath by asking His forgiveness, we stop there and we stop learning who God is. We don't find out more about who He is. We stop moving forward. We think that all that is needed is God's forgiveness, and then we are fine. However, this is a very big mistake for a person to do. To think that the reason why God forgives people is that's because that's His job is very wrong. To think that he own, that's, that's the only reason why the gospel was proclaimed is a big mistake. No. God forgives our sin basically because He wants us to know Him more. And by knowing Him more, we will know that He is our highest good. Not just for the forgiveness of sin. Not just for escaping hell. Not just for going to heaven. Not just for the blessing, but because of having communion with God. One of the books that I can recommend you about that is Knowing God by J.A. Packer. I didn't bring that book today, but I can bring that sometime later. Please borrow that book. That will increase your knowledge about who God is as He is presented in the Bible. Second question is, what do we do with the knowledge of God? What do we do with the knowledge that we learn? 
After knowing more about God, what do we do with our knowledge of Him? And that's the other common mistake of a lot of Christians. To treat the knowledge that they have gained with the way they treat the textbooks from the school. In other words, to treat the knowledge of God without seeking to enrich our communion with Him is also a mistake. Because when we do that, we do not allow ourselves to stand in awe of God. We do not allow ourselves to stand in fear of Him, the right fear of Him. We read the Bible just like how we read the kids' storybook, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, or Rapunzel, or today the latest one is Frozen by Elsa and Anna. Now, we, we don't do that in the Bible. Because when we do that, we will not be amazed at the wonderful and mighty works of God. We read about the Holy Spirit and then we will misunderstood Him to be a genie in the bottle, to be summoned when we have a wish on Him. We are missing a true Christian life by doing this. So treat the knowledge of God differently. Treat it like a the way a song composer treats his song when he is composing it. Songwriters start with few melodies and phrases. He learns another tune and few more words the following day and combines them to finally complete the love song that he wanted to be. He remembers each word of his song. He quickly recalls them anytime he can sing them. That's what you can do. My favorite song was sung today, and I can sing it with my eyes closed. That's how you learn God's Word. You remember it by heart because you want yourself to be amazed with the God presented to us by the Bible. Getting to know God and applying it immediately is the way to do it. Know God, apply it. Know God, apply it. How do we apply it? How do we put, how do we put our knowledge into good use? Uh, well, we trust Him in all situations after learning that He controls everything, that He is sovereign. We should live righteously because God is holy and righteous and just. We must confess the sins that we have done since He is wrathful towards sins. He punished the wicked. Christians like Habakkuk must pray more confidently because they know God. Use your knowledge of God properly. Meet this God described to us by the Bible. If we have difficulty in life, He is the powerful God. He is the almighty God. He is El Shaddai. And like Habakkuk who knows his God, in wrath, God, remember your mercy. We can pray with Habakkuk like that. Because we know that Yahweh live up to his name. He is a covenant-keeping God. We can say with Habakkuk, revive your work in these days. We can pray the prayer that the Apostle John prayed. Come, Lord Jesus. A lot of us don't pray that because we are fearful that the Lord might come today. No, Christians should pray, come Lord Jesus. 
If you know who the Lord is, He will save you in His wrath. He will remember mercy. You must live by faith. Because of the Lord's name, we can trust Him. Now, Habakkuk's trust in the Lord is because of his knowledge of His name. But another foundation that trust works well is when we know how the Lord proves Himself to be the covenant-keeping God by His mighty works. And so this is what Habakkuk did. And this is our second point. Trust God because of the great things He has done. We can trust God because of His covenant name, but we can trust God because of the things that He has done to prove that He is a covenant-keeping God. Trust the Lord because He is powerful and mighty to save His people. That's what the Bible presents to us. The Bible records all the mighty works of God. I am a book lover. I usually look at the author of the book before buying it. The second thing I do after seeing the book is look at the older books that he had already written and read reviews about it. So I can decide if I wanted to buy it or not. I am a music lover. I love Chopin's music. I discovered that he has tremendous um, uh, ability to compose a lovely musical piano piece. And because of his many works, I can trust that he is a great pianist. I not only know him because of Chopin, I know him because I can hear all the piano pieces that he played very well. And it's the same true about knowing God. What could be worse than Habakkuk's discovery and hearing from God that a nation will invade them? It's a worse news that you can hear from the Lord. Instead of Judah taking another country, they will be the ones to be attacked by the Babylon. Because God is punishing them from their sins and God is handing them over to an evil nation. However, Habakkuk showed us an outstanding, outstanding res- response to the Lord through his prayer. He, uh, he is more afraid of God than he is of Babylon. Habakkuk tells us why. Habakkuk talked about God's mighty works one after another. Look with me in uh, verse 3 to 15. God comes from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covers the heavens, and the earth is full of His praise. His brilliance is like light. Rays are flashing from His hand. His worst power is hidden. Plague goes before Him, and pestilence follows in His steps. He stands and shakes the earth. He looks and startles the nations. The age-old mountains break apart. The ancient hills sink down. His pathways are ancient. I see the tents of Kushan in distress. The tent curtains of the land of Midian tremble. Are you angry at the rivers, Lord? Is your wrath against the rivers? Or is your rage against the sea when you ride on your horses? Your victorious chariot. You took the sheath from your bow. 
The arrows are ready to be used. We don't know. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains see you in shudder. A downpour of water sweeps by. The deep roars with its voice and lifts its waves high. Sun and moon stand still in, the lo in their lofty residence at the flash of your flying arrows, at the brightness of your shining spear. You march across the earth with indignation. You trample down the nations in wrath. You come out to save your people, to save your anointed. You crush the leader of the house of the wicked and strip him from foot to neck. You pierce his head with his own spears. His warriors storms out to scatter us, gloating as if ready to secretly devour the weak. You tread the sea with your horses, stirring up the vast waters. Now what can we see in these passages? We can learn that God's people should tremble in fear in awe of God. Verse 3, Habakkuk says that there are two places that the people of Judah know very well. That is Teman and that is Paran. It's just like how I know Dubai when I'm living at Fujairah. Habakkuk talks about Teman and Paran, two places near Mount Sinai, that witness how God's glory was shown to his people in Israel when he was making them into a great nation when he was fulfilling his promise to Abraham. Habakkuk remember how, how lightning flashed when God was giving them the stipulations of his covenant. Because God is holy, God wants them to live as a holy nation, a people who belong to God, to show the world who God is. In verse 5, Habakkuk remember how God used plagues to beat the powerful king of Egypt and then deliver them out from Egypt, out from their slavery. In verse 6, Habakkuk remember how God shook the earth and how even mountains that are thousands of years old cannot stand up before the eternal God who made the heavens and the earth. Habakkuk looked back to how people lived in the tents in Koshan, which is the nearby country and in the wilderness the tents of Midian, when God was giving his law to his people, these people trembled in fear because they heard about Israel and about the God of Israel. Habakkuk wrote down all these things so that he and his people would have a great awe of the great things that God has done to deliver them. He can trust God because of the mighty works that he has done. No one in creation is more powerful than God who created them. Now, a second thing that we can learn from these passages that we just read is that God's enemies trembles in fear out of defeat. If God's people tremble in fear in their awe of God, his enemies tremble in fear because of their defeat, their sure defeat. We can see that in, verse, in verses 8 to 15. Habakkuk talk about how awesome is the Lord 
in revealing His glory to His people and how many uh, people have witnessed it and how the creation witnessed it. Now, Habakkuk is talking how scary the Lord is for those who go against Him. Habakkuk says that God is a mighty warrior who wins the battle. He is a sure winner. Look at verse 8 to 15. God, God, uh, Habakkuk shows how the rivers and seas everywhere around the world, which implies the majority, majority portion of the earth on God's creation, how creation trembles in fears and how all the people living on the land and across the seas, lands, rivers should tremble in fear when they go when they go against God. This means that no country is too strong, no country is too superpower to stand up against the Lord. Habakkuk says that the Lord is like a warrior who rides his chariot, whose spears are in his hands, whose bow and arrow are ready to be shot with an oath. Habakkuk says that the mighty warrior rides his chariots whose horses crushes everything they run over. And then in verse 14, Habakkuk says that God's enemies will try to scatter God's people, but God will save His people. God is a sure winner. God will use His own enemy's spear, the spear of the enemy, to crush their own head, pin them down their heads on the ground, and knowing who the Lord is. Enemies will tremble in fear in the awe of God. Enemies will tremble in fear out of defeat. Sorry. Enemies will tremble in fear out of defeat. Now, how is our own fear of the Lord? How is our own fear of God? Many of us don't know what the fear of God was like during the time when God was giving His law to Israel. Uh, I live in the Philippines. There are 15 to 20 typhoons that crosses our land each year. Most of the time, typhoons are followed with loud thunder and lightnings. And if you are in the open, open field, it's a dangerous place for you. Now picture Israel living in tents. In tents. Not in your houses with roofs. Not in your houses with soundproof. Israel was living in tents in the foot of Mount Sinai when God is giving them His rules. And there were earthquakes, thunder, and lightning. That must be a scary uh, scenario, scene uh, to, to see, to witness. But I'm not so much interested in how scary uh, they must have looked like during that time. I'm talking about having the right kind of fear of God. According to this text, we can respond to God in two ways when He shows us His glory. And actually, because of the grace of God, He has revealed, He has already revealed to us His glory at the coming of His Son, Jesus Christ. 
Jesus is the full manifestation of God's glory. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God who said, let light, sh- let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, how do we respond to the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ? Are we amazed at Him? Are we people who see the true glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ? Or are we, are we people who, who has been blinded by our own sin? Who Satan uses those, that sin to blind us so that we cannot see the glory of our God? And because of the glory of God has been finally shown to us through Jesus Christ, these passages in Habakkuk has a lot of, of things to say to us today. First, if the glory has already been shown in Jesus Christ's face, we should be in awe of Jesus Christ. How amazing is it that the Bible shows us that God saves people. How amazing it is that the Bible presents us the gospel message. Are we in awe of that? Do you continually cherish the message of God's saving grace, not once a week, but every day? Second, do you get scared after you've seen? Does God's word convict you and make you realize that you have done wrong? Or you are resisting what the word of God says? Do you let sin make you blind so that you cannot see how scary God is when he judged the living and the dead at the coming of Jesus Christ? My dear brothers and sisters in the Lord, Habakkuk is calling you to fear before the Holy God. Fear God. He is a mighty warrior. And we should be his subject. He is the suzerain. We are his basal. Now what is suzerain and what is basal? This is a terminology used in the Old Testament times when God presented himself to Abraham. God is the suzerain king. He is the superior. Abraham was the lesser king. He is the basal. Usually, the superior king defeat the lesser or the weaker king during that time. And in order to stop the war, they will make a covenant or an agreement. The superior king will tell, be my subject, I will protect you, I will bless you, but you have to abide by my rules and regulation. Be my vassal. If that vassal rebelled on him, that vassal will be destroyed by the superior king. That is how we should be before the Holy God. He is the suzerain. We are his vassal. We always eat of the bread and the cup during the Lord's day. We eat the supper of the Lamb. We should understand the covenant that we have entered into. He is the suzerain. God is the suzerain. We are his vassal. We are his subject. This is the relationship between Judah and Yahweh. Yahweh is the suzerain. Judah is his vassal. 
This is the relationship between Christians and Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the suzerain. We are his vessel. And we should fear him. We should fear him out of faith. That in wrath, he remembers mercy. In wrath, God remembers mercy because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Without Jesus Christ, we are hopeless. We need Jesus Christ because in wrath, God remembers mercy. The grace of God is in Jesus Christ. We need Him. It means that we should tell Him everything that is going on in our lives. If He is the suzerain and we are His vessel, we should tell Him. When we move to a new place, we don't quickly move if we don't first know what the Word of God says. It is that we should seek to become part of Christ's body in that place. So we should know if there's a local church on that place before moving on. If not, I don't think it's wise for you to go there. Unless the church sent you to plant a local church with other Christians. I think that's the wise thing to do. Move there if you are aiming to plant a church. It means that as Habakkuk has presented it, with all the lessons that we can learn from this, choosing the right person that you will marry if you are single. Does the person believe the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is he an existing faithful member of a local church? If he or she is not a Christian, then you should not marry that person. The Bible says marry only in the Lord. So, what's our proper response? We should pray to our suzerain and ask him to give our partner in life a Christian who fears the Lord. Otherwise, we would just like Israel swayed by another faith and worship false gods. It also means that we should forgive other people. We should not have bitterness against someone. Give yourself over to the Lord, to what the Lord wanted. Forgive that person. It means that you should honor your word. Keep your word if you have a chance. So that when no one will say bad things about Jesus Christ. That a Christian doesn't keep his word. Trust in the Lord because of his name. And yet trust also the Lord because of the mighty works that he has done. Because the Lord in his wrath remembers mercy. And we know that he is faithful and true because of Jesus Christ. All this gives us a reason to trust God no matter what. And this is our last point. Trust God no matter what. Look with me in verse 16 to 19. I heard and I trembled within. My lips quivered at the sound. Rottenness entered my bones. I trembled where I stood. Now I must quietly wait for the day of distress to come against the people invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there is no fruit on the vines, Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though the flocks disappear from the pen and there are no herds in the stalls, yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord, my Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer and enables me to walk on mountain heights. For the choir director on string instruments. How wonderful this book is for God's people. 
Brothers and sisters, this is the book that the Bible presents. This is, this is the Bible. It presents to us who the Lord is, that He is true to His name, <coughs> that we can trust Him. Now, when we read the Bible, we can read in the New Testament that even devils have faith. And the Lord Jesus said that even them believe in God. They know and understand the fact about God and who Jesus Christ is. When they see Jesus Christ, they tremble in fear. They shake in fear. Now, how is this faith of the devil different from the faith that Habakkuk was talking about? I mean, believe, the word believe. All right? Because the word faith should be reserved to uh, true faith that the Bible speaks about. Habakkuk first learned who God is. Second, Habakkuk was afraid of the Lord uh, because of the glory that he has revealed. How do the de demons believe in God differ from the faith of Habakkuk? Well, Habakkuk shows this to us in this last passage, in, Hab in Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 16 to 19. What's the difference? The passage clearly shows what Habakkuk shows, uh, Habakkuk said in Habakkuk 2, 4, the righteous live by faith. What does that look like? Habakkuk faith is exhibited in this prayer. First, Habakkuk feared God based on God's word. Based on God's word. And then, Habakkuk said in verse uh, 16 that according to what he heard about God, he shook and trembled from, from within. Then Habakkuk's fear of God made him realize that he was weaker than God and that he needed to surrender himself to God. It tells us that Habakkuk should not have pride. There's no more strength remaining in him. Rottenness entered his bones. And this is very different from Babylon. Babylon relied on his own strength and made his strength his God. But Habakkuk presented to us his humbleness and surrendered himself to God. I think there are two things that we can learn from this about Habakkuk's demonstration of faith. First, faith is a total reliance in the Lord. A total reliance in the Lord. I used to have a printing company. I, I owned a business before. Now, silk screen uh, printing was one of the services I offered. In one of my projects, I eagerly uh, followed all the instructions that I watched on how to silk screen print correctly. However, because of my lack of experience, my jewelry and silk screen printing didn't please my customer. And because of that, that project cost me a lot of money. My wife, I don't know if my wife remembers that. <laughs> I learned that I should have let the specialist or the expert do their job while I, I, I focus on what I am good at. Now think about Habakkuk. Habakkuk is not the expert. Who is the expert? The Lord is the expert. The Lord is the specialist. So Habakkuk relied himself to the Lord. He relied to the expert. He relied totally in the Lord who is sovereign and good in all that he does. 
Habakkuk said, bad things may happen. The fig tree may not bud. There may not be fruit in the vine. Olive crops may fail. And many other bad things may happen. However, I will trust in the Lord. Christians, this should be our kind of prayer. Bad things may happen. Christian life is not all about good things. Bad things happen. During bad things, trust in the Lord. What kind of trust Habakkuk showed to us? It is a kind of faith. It is the second idea of this this, uh, last portion of the passage presented. It is a kind of faith that celebrates and rejoices in the Lord no matter what the circumstances. Habakkuk said that he will celebrate in the Lord. He will rejoice in the Lord. Habakkuk's faith causes joy and trust in God's mercy and grace. Even if good things don't happen because of his faith, yet he will celebrate and rejoice in the Lord. That speaks a lot about our lives today. If you are undergoing persecution because of your faith in Jesus, celebrate, rejoice in the Lord. If you are having a hard time right now, financially, celebrate and rejoice in the Lord. You have Jesus Christ. If you are unwell and sick, and having bad experience with your health, celebrate and still rejoice in the Lord. When Job experienced all these things, he said, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Christians today have greater reasons to rejoice because all of God's promises has become yes and amen in Jesus Christ. We can totally rely ourselves to God because we know that His work of redemption has been completed and fulfilled by Jesus Christ. And we can rely because of God's promise. Jesus Christ will come soon. Amen? God is faithful and true to His word. That means we can rely on Him. We can pray to Him in the same way that Habakkuk prayed in Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 18 to 19. I suggest that you memorize this passage, brothers and sisters. This is a wonderful passage. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, I encourage you to hear and believe the word of God through the prophet Habakkuk's writings, inspired by the Spirit of God. The righteous can live by faith. Trust God who is true to His name. Trust God because of the great things that He has done. Trust God no matter what. Let's pray.